Welcome to the Sports Epreneur Podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide, a CadSource production. In this episode, I chat with Joseph Biancon, a freelance journalist based out of Los Angeles. I connected with Joe once I saw him featured in the Axio Sports newsletter by Kendall Baker. Joe shared an idea for a basketball league called The 18 that immediately got my attention. I wanted to learn more about the idea and share it with the sports epreneur community. In this episode, Joe and I discuss this idea for a disruptive basketball league. We also talk about content and creativity. Sportsypreneur is a content platform, a collaborative team, and a marketing brand that is all about showcasing leaders and difference makers in and around the world of sports. While we create our own content, we also create content with you. This includes collaborative content and exclusive content for your brand. Think podcasts, blogs, social media, and overall content strategy. Our sports content marketing team is specifically niche for those in the sports industry. That includes sports businesses, athletes, managers, coaches, trainers, entrepreneurs, and business leaders in the sports market. The bottom line is we want to help with your sports-related brand, your content marketing, and your story. Connect with us on Instagram at sportsepreneur or find us online at sportsepreneur.com. Sportsepreneur, the content platform where sports and entrepreneurship collide. So Joe, I was reading the Axios sports newsletter and an idea comes across. First of all, I love that newsletter. I think it's awesome. And there's so many different things that you don't realize it's going on in the world of sports. And there's a lot of great ideas. And Kendall Baker does a great job of relaying a lot of these ideas and college basketball and just college sports in general. There's just a lot happening. We're dealing with the pandemic and what's the future of college sports. Obviously, college football is a big thing. College basketball, we've seen some players leave the opportunity to play college basketball and to go play in the G League. And obviously with the age 21 rule coming up here on the corner, I saw something come in and you had written it and you had written into the Axial Sports Newsletter in the 18. So I want to talk about that idea because I saw it and I'm like, yes, that that is something that someone needs to do. And I just thought it was cool. And we're going to get more specifics about it. But let's just talk about the 18 for a little bit. Yeah. So thank you for having me. Actually, somehow that newsletter came together because I was tweeting at responding to Dan Pfeiffer of Pod Save America, who was talking about the one and done deal and the new G League thing. And me and Kendall Baker started tweeting back and forth. And he's like, all right, I want to hear your idea. Send me an email. So it came from that. But the idea is basically, rather than dealing with the select league, rather than dealing with one and done, we bring the 18 best 18-year-olds from around the world. So Luka Doncic would be in this league as well. And we pay each of them $1 million and give them the rights to pursue shoe deals, merch deals, whatever. They'd be coached by NBA-level coaches. They would have trainers, medical staffs. And in terms of games, the prospects would be split into two nine-man teams as well as six three-man teams. We're going to be going around the country be in big city arenas whenever that's possible again. Right, right. (laughs) And there'll be dunk contests, three-point contests, skill events. There'll be a three-on-three tournament with these six teams at Madison Square Garden. To end the season, there'll be a best-of-nine series between these two teams of elite 18-year-olds. And it allows us to see these guys in competition it allows the scouts to have the time they want, which is why they're doing these G League select teams. And it also just creates spectacle. So I think that's what the G League still missing. It is. So, and you had mentioned Luka Doncic would be in the league. So are you saying that we would have current players 
in that league or the type no, no, of no. player. I'm saying, I'm saying best 18 year old. Yeah, we get a guy from the Spanish league. We get a guy from Brazil. We get all over the world. But our goal is to get 18 guys who realistically project as first rounders. So that would be the final goal for the league. Why do you think a league like that is needed? I mean, I've already referenced a couple of things. There's been three players that just recently that I can, I don't know, the top, let's say the top 50 players in the country that are skipping. Including the number that's, one. Does that reason? <laughs> yeah, the number one player. So is that the number one reason why we need something like this? Or there's a lot of factors and I don't want to assume anything, but I just want to understand your frame of mind as to why something like this is needed. Yeah, so I come at it from a point of view that NCAA system is broken. If you're 18, if you could join the military, you should be able to make a living. The idea that these kids have to wait a year and play for free is crazy. And I think players and agents, more importantly, are starting to understand that it's crazy, which is why we saw two of the top 10 players last year go play abroad. And I was unable to see Australian League. I don't know if you had access to it, but that sucks. That sucks to not be able to see two of the top 10 players play. Yep their 18-year-old year. This year, we have this G League select team, which is made in direct response to those players going abroad. And I don't know where that's going to play. On Twitch, maybe? Right. Like, Where are we even going to see those games? So I think the idea of leaning fully in, committing a little more money, clearly $150,000 isn't enough to get all of the best players to the G League. 500,000 was enough to get the number one player, but I think a million dollars would be absolutely enough to like change the tide, be enough to make an impact and allow these kids to have this big enough platform, which it's going to take 18 guys to get there. Yeah. Going back in college basketball a little bit, I growing up, so followed the Big East primarily is my favorite college basketball league. Big 10 obviously was into that, but to me, college basketball is a shell of its former self. Now, I know last year you had the Zion. You, you had something that was just, that doesn't happen, right? And I think that drew a lot of interest. And I think it gave this sense of college basketball's back. Zion was there for a glimpse, if that, because then he got hurt. And he got hurt in the biggest game within seconds of the game starting. And it just threw everything off. But even while he wasn't playing, it was still the Zion watch. When's he going to come back? How's he feeling? Let's talk to Nike. Let's get the impact of what he had with blowing through his shoe. I think college basketball is a shell of itself. I think the games aren't that exciting. I think the level of play, I'm not saying the talent's not there. The level of play is not that good. You have to get these players to that next level, which is obviously the NBA. Do you see that as well? Have you seen that play out? It doesn't mean we won't have dramatic games. So I think people sometimes think, well, that was a close game. That had a nail biter. That was a buzzer beater. All of a sudden, that makes it a good game. I completely disagree. It was a terribly played basketball game that just had a lot of drama at the end, which is a lot of fun for someone like you and I to watch the game. But I think this is why I was so drawn to your idea is college basketball. You said NCAA is a broken system, but the game itself seems like a little bit lost. And now we're even finding out that I don't know what's true and what's not true anymore. Clearly something happened maybe with Zion and even getting paid to go play at Duke. Would anyone be surprised by the fact that that happened? I wouldn't be. It's like people are like outraged and like, well, what do you think was happening? So anyway, did you see that as well when you were growing up? I'm sure you probably love college basketball to even be thinking about an idea like that. Do you see, forget that NCAA is broken, that college basketball has an issue? Yeah, I think there's this idea and dream about college basketball that 
if you don't have all the top players, it will suddenly devolve into a worse game. And I think the thing is, if college basketball is going to be just a facsimile of the NBA, it's always going to be worse. These kids are young. (laughs) They're not as good as basketball. That's like the draw of college basketball when I was younger was you're watching an 18-year-old or a 19-year-old try to hit free throws in front of 30,000 people when he's not very good at basketball. You're watching the 22-year-old who's matured now and is closer to the grown-up on the team. You're watching these kids grow up together. And I think that's what's fun about it. If you remove the top upper echelon of players, if you allow them to go to the NBA early or you allow them to go to this made-up league instead, I think that actually raises the quality of college basketball because it breeds continuity. It allows guys to mature at their natural state. It allows someone like John Morant to bloom later. And it removes these freakish athletes who happen to be ready to go at 18. There are people like that. LeBron didn't need a year of basketball. Right. Kobe didn't need a year of basketball, but... Those people are few and far between. And there's some guys who might at 21 suddenly bloom and prove that they're a top 10 pick. And I think that makes it better for basketball. You're right. We had Steve Lavin, but we haven't published this. By the time we publish this podcast, we'll have had Steve Lavin on our podcast. He was former coach at UCLA, St. John's, now Fox Sports. And he said something very interesting. He said, it's no doubt there's disruption going on with college basketball. But what he said is for the player, for the student athlete, and they always use that word, right? When the student athlete wants to come there and truly takes it as school plus basketball, that is in the pure sense what it's supposed to be. And like you said, they're there for school and they're there for basketball. What's happened is they're not there for school. Let's just be honest. They're there for the one year to get a little bit of platform, to build their network out some more and get ready to go to the draft. And I think that's right. And I think the only way you do that is by having the kids that are actually there for both of those things. I get it. They're still going to be focused on getting better, becoming the next John Morant, let's say. That continuity is huge because when you watch college basketball, if you think back to like when Duke in the early 90s was Christian Leitner, but he was there for four years, right? There was four years you had to hate that guy. And he went to my high school, by the way. I was way younger than him. But it's like you learn to either love or appreciate or watch these players develop. And there's that to a degree, but not really, right? I mean, even watching The Last Dance right now, there's the episode about the Carolina years. And Jordan left early, but he left after his junior year. You see Jordan as a freshman making the shot matters because you're like, oh, if you're a UNC fan, you're like, oh, I have this guy for two or three more years on my team. I'm going to watch him grow. And you see that connection that that whole state has to Jordan is magic. He continues to mean something, even though he never played for the Bobcat, Hornet, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's like that matters. That connection to that matters. I think the biggest flaw with my idea is that a kid spending, let's say Kyrie Irving playing 17 games in Duke still builds this entire network of fans for Kyrie. Right. And... I feel comfortable saying this because I, I recently heard Woj on Kynes' podcast say, I'm not breaking news that NCAA players are getting paid <laughs> when he was talking about how much they have to pay in the G League. So if right. Woj says it, like I feel like I could say it. Um, right, right. <laughs> and so if you're saying, all right, if I go to Duke, 
or if I go to one of these schools, I'm getting paid X amount. I could get paid slightly more to go to the G League, but it's slightly and I lose the incredible six month long branding opportunity that someone like Zion or even Kyrie with those 10 games, 12 games did. So in that sense, I think that's where the NCAA still is an advantage. For me as a person with morals, I think it's crazy that these kids have to give up a year of earning to be able to build that brand. Well, you use a, I actually wrote it down morally. I think it would feel better. Yes, you could go to college and somehow money's going to end up in your bank account or someone's bank account that you know. But it opens up, first of all, just the moral way of being like, you want to feel good about it. I just think deep down, these guys still would rather do it the way you're talking about it. Because then you can have a meeting with Nike and everyone can know about it. You can have a meeting with EA Sports and everyone can know about it. Like, it's just any brand deal that you do. And I get it. They're opening up this opportunity. But I think we all realize, like, what are they even getting themselves into with using your rights, your likeness, I should say. We don't know what that even looks like right now. And good luck trying to figure that out in the first few years. And so I think it makes a lot of sense to have a place where you can go. And here's the other thing that we've learned. A lot of kids right now are taking classes online. So I would imagine... They could still go to school online if they would like to. They can go get an online degree while they're playing basketball because that's one thing that we've learned is that when you play, you have a lot of downtime. What are you doing with your downtime? Well, you can work on your business. And if you do want to go to school, if that's for one of those 18-year-olds, they can do that as well. So there's this disruption that's there. And the reason why college basketball has an upper hand for a lot of these things is because it's the old system. It's a system that we're used to. Well, That doesn't mean that we shouldn't have some disruption going on. Going on to the 18 best players and the timing and you're you're having them in Madison Square Garden, the idea of just thinking big like that, I think is awesome. When does this take place? Like, If it was up to you, what's the timeline of this league? Is it during the college basketball season? Yeah, I think there's already this natural understanding of basketball is happening at this time. I wouldn't want to take on the NBA playoffs. I think that's crazy. Right. I guess the question is, is it better to end it before March Madness, probably because you don't want to go up against March Madness or maybe you follow March Madness and play it early April, right before the NBA playoffs tip off. Yeah. Best of nine. The fun part about that for me is you have... What you don't get in March Madness is a true like battle that you get in a playoff series. You don't get to see guys start to actually dislike each other, start to get this competitive edge. Coaches start to target certain players, things like that. And I was having some fun while I was pitching Kendall and going through the top 20 prospects of all of these different years. And there'd be a great series between Amari Stoudemire and Chris Bosh as the two power forwards, let's say. There's these opportunities to see these young stars at the same position on different nine-man teams playing. And it's just like, um, it's amazing stuff to picture how these guys would match up at that age. Yeah. You could always pull back on that, right? Because the one thing that we pull back on all the time is the magic bird moment. Yep. And so many things had to play itself out. Like think about the odds of that ever happening. And it happened. And I guess that's what makes it great because it took so much for that game to even take place. But if we can pull back footage, like you just said, with Bosch and Stoudemire, 
And yeah, it's much easier to make that happen in your system, but that's what we want, right? We want to like, this is what happened when these two guys squared off as 18 year olds. Now they're 27 year olds. Let's go back nine years and see what that looks like. I totally get it. And I think that you would also see March Madness, what happens? Well, a team's going to lose and they're going to have an NBA star on that team. And they don't even fly back to school a lot of times yep. with their team because they're on to the next step. They're going to the NBA. They're getting ready to go to the draft. There's other things they have to do. So like a January, February period when college basketball is, let's be honest, like the ratings are really low. Very few people are watching it. They start tuning in maybe towards the end of February to watch maybe conference tournaments and all that. But really that whole stuff starts in the beginning of March anyway. So you get your thing going in January, February, they're ready to go to the next step anyway, but they've been training all along to get ready for the NBA. These creative ideas, like you had said, you're just using platforms that exist. So you have this Axios newsletter, you have someone who's very into sports with like Kendall Baker, you have your creativity within Twitter of just having these types of conversations. Do you do this a lot? Do you come up with these, I say wild ideas, but it's not wild because I think, yeah, it's wild in the sense that someone's going to have to fund this league to get the game played in Madison Square Garden, but hey, let's dream big. Do you like doing this? Do you come up with these different ideas with other sports? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, bars don't exist anymore. But if you turn to friends, I have plenty of these stupid sports fixes. (laughs) 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 Yeah, the 18 was definitely built over a few beers talking out an issue that I was passionate about, which is that I can't believe they don't pay the best 18-year-olds to play basketball. Right. But yeah, I have other stupid ideas. I got one for you that I think you'll love, which is... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pitch it to me. (laughs) So back when we were kids, I don't know how old you are. I am 31 now. So back when we were kids, we had posters on our wall of NBA players either in those stupid like positions like that, holding basketballs or dunking on people. Obviously, we still talk about the posterized dunk. But I think posters, static, they're like very old world, that kind of idea. Nowadays, the poster, I think, exists basically on NBA Twitter, if nowhere else. Like There's a big dunk. Everyone cuts the highlight or cuts the gif. That guy gets clowned on NBA Twitter for the night, and then it's kind of gone. And I hope kids aren't on NBA Twitter at 10 p.m. (laughs) So you kind of lose the experience of the poster. But my big stupid idea that I need another probably millionaire for this one is a screen the size of a poster that you could put on your wall. And similar to Bill Simmons' championship belt, there's a reigning poster holder during the NBA season. So if a guy dunks and really embarrasses somebody, that then gets transmitted to every single poster that people have in their rooms with a cool little design. Maybe there's a fireball, maybe there's whatever. And we see that dunk shows up. Now a kid goes to sleep the next morning, let's say Devin Booker dunked on some sorry backup center. (laughs) And he wakes up and there's a new poster on his wall that's been transmitted to that LED screen. We start talking now, Adam Silver, and we could have it by Christmas. Like, let's go. Let's get these new posters that change and are all digital. Uh, Yeah. I don't know if you saw my room at some point or something like that, but yeah, (laughs) like all these posters and it was kind of crazy to see that Well, you just took the technology we have today. Like you see people who, I mean, a lot of it too, it's just on their phone. So it's like what you put on your screen, but this is... It's working within what's happening in the moment, which is what I love about it. And obviously having the technology to be able to do it. 
like you said, so many different ways you can enter someone's house and get into that idea because I don't think those things go away. I think that idea of idolizing an athlete or what, especially for a young kid who just loves basketball and wants to have that highlight reel. I mean, that's all, all the different highlight reels exist nowadays at any platform. No, I think that's a good idea. Like you said, you need another millionaire or billionaire to throw something at it. But I think it's all about, though, having this creative mindset that it comes from. You're freelance journalists, you create a lot of content. And I think in order to create a lot of content, you got to come up with some wild stuff. We talked to all sorts of people on our podcast. And when I saw your idea on the newsletter, I was like, that's really cool. I have no idea if you'd even respond and just reach out. Like, if nothing else, man, it's a great idea. And I'm glad you submitted it. And I'm glad I got to read it. Like, it just, stuff to make you think. It doesn't necessarily mean it has to happen. And maybe there's a version of that somewhere down the road that we come across. And and perhaps in a way, the G League is becoming that. And maybe they just take ideas from it. And you have the big three league that's out there. So there's ideas like that. But do you see that when you're creating content, the more you create content and the more in the flow of it you are, that you just come up with more ideas? Absolutely. As a freelancer, I'm constantly pitching. I would say for every story I get, I pitch five stories. So the skill set is understanding what the news cycle, what an editor is looking for, things like that, then understanding a character that I've found and how I can write a story or profile about that character that fits into the news cycle. So for example, my last big story was about the greatest male ultra runner in America was running his first ever marathon in the Olympic trials. I've been fascinated by this guy for a long time, but I need a way in. So I find, all right, he's running the Olympic trials. That's a big international event. He's running the marathon. That's something that the New York Times Magazine might actually be interested in. And then I'm able to find the editor who wants to do it, get the story picked up and have to see if we pitching idea, story, character, and then be able to time that all to a news cycle. And I think that's kind of the challenge of freelancing, but it also means it does get your mind going of, let me think of these different problems and how to fix them for an editor. Absolutely. I mean, I think just in content alone, no matter what type of content you're creating, like just start writing. Like I've heard people who write songs a lot of times, they'll start writing lyrics to a song they already know. It just gets them going and they'll come up with new ideas for that song. And it's you're also pitching yourself, it sounds like you're coming up with these ideas like, does this make my five that I want to actually talk to someone about, right? Like you're constantly just putting these ideas out there and there's so much content. There's a lot of noise out there and you're seeing people who aren't necessarily freelance journalists. They're not content creators by trade, but people are still starting to put themselves out there. You heard it like businesses, people, you are your own brand now. You're a media company now, let's say. Do you sense that people, even if they're not, skilled like you're skilled in the area of freelance journalism, that they should go down the path of telling a story, of creating content, of getting their message better? Because we all come across those businesses or those websites or even a blog article that someone put together. And it's so business-based. It's so salesy. It's so like nothing that you want to read. Riff on that a little bit, if you would. Yeah. I mean, as a person trying to make a living in this, I think it's valuable to hire people who can write good stories. (laughs) Yep. I think that because writing is something that everyone can do, people forget that it's also a skill to hone like any other skill. Right. And I think it's valuable to 
really work on that skill set for almost anybody. Like I know when I was in college, I was a literature major and people like scoff at that idea. But I do think there's value in being able to read and understand write in almost any industry. And if you know that that's a weak point, we're available to hire. <laughs> like writers need work, you know? So yeah, absolutely. But it's a worthwhile thing for your business to have because if you could communicate succinctly, but also interestingly, what your business is about, what you hope your customers view you as, also what you hope to tell your customers quickly and clearly, I think that ends up adding value. Well, it's do what you're best at. So if you realize that you need to tell a story or have some sort of message out there, create some sort of content, maybe the business owner, the person's not best at it, but they can find someone like yourself that's out there. Writers need work. Journalists need work. There's people out there that... Totally. Can... I couldn't start a business. Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. Like different skill sets. That's 100% <laughs> right. And I think people need to realize that there's a lot of people out there that can help them out. One of the things I want to touch on, I've referenced this before, is I look at this thing, it's like connecting in weird places. LinkedIn's an incredible tool. It's an incredible place where I can just reach out to someone. And next thing you know, you're, if you do it genuinely, you can have an amazing conversation. I'm fascinated by the fact that you and I are talking right now. You had somehow had this interaction with someone, end up on the sports newsletter. I'm drinking coffee early in the morning and I'm just reading the newsletter and your stuff comes up. We reach out, we have some interaction. It's genuine. And here we are recording a podcast talking about some idea that you had and talking about content, talking about sports and college basketball. I'm fascinated by that. And I would imagine going back to as a freelance journalist that you're having to have these interactions and you're having to make connections perhaps in weird places. Like you said, you can't go to a bar anymore, but you might stumble across someone and they overheard you talking. And next thing you're like, oh, I'd like to see your work. Again, it's fascinating to say it's unlimited of the ways that you can possibly, especially with the tools and the resources we have today, that you can connect with someone in, I guess they aren't really weird places, but I guess that's the way to say it is connecting yourself with someone in weird places genuinely. Do you have to do that a lot? What do you think about all that? Yeah, a lot of my job is making weird connections, getting in touch with editors, having one editor connect me with the next editor, things like that. Early on, I felt like I was constantly asking for favors. I think that's a lot of writers' experiences because I had a friend who got a story picked up by Vice six months before my first story. I had to ask for an email to an editor, things like that. I've had coffee with countless writers asking for advice, things like that. I think that the moment I feel like I have anything of value to give back, I am available at all times. I answer every email. I answer every DM. I do all of that because I wouldn't have gotten to do this for a living if not for other people helping me. So that I'm a big believer in just answer your emails, answer your DMs. If someone texts you, text them back. It's worth it. Yeah. It has played out for you. So you mentioned Vice. Where else can people read your stories? Yeah. I started out at Vice years ago. I haven't written for them for a little while. But my most recent stories were in Vulture, in San Francisco Chronicle, New York Times Magazine. I've written for Wired pretty regularly and Medium as well. I wrote a story, which I think your listeners will be interested in, about the Tijuana baseball team and a strange rule that made it so Mexican-American players could count as native-born players in the league. 
and the Tijuana team went all in on Mexican American players and ended up winning the championship in their 2017 season. So it's a good, another good weird sports story that I think is like a little off the beaten path, which is the stories I love to write. I mean, those are the ones we like to read. We can always relive the game that happened yesterday, but I think we need to dig deeper, right? And I think that's what's happening. That's why someone like you can exist. That's why Kendall's newsletter does so well because it goes into other places that perhaps you're not thinking about and it gets you to open up a little bit. And that's how we connected in the first place with the 18 and like nothing more, obviously, just to see a basketball game at this point, right? Just point us in the direction. There's a game we were watching. Was it the Korean League? I think on ESPN with no fans out there. I mean, that was wild, but at least it was a game we can check it out or or watch some old stuff or watch the stories and behind the scenes, like you said, like the last dance. And let's end it here with the 18. What do you think happens next? Maybe the 18 doesn't happen tomorrow. Maybe it takes some time. Maybe someone hears this or sees your email and they get to find out that, you know what, they want to invest in it. They want to make that happen. Do you see something like that happening, whether it's the 18 or something else and your final take just overall on the 18 and and why it needs to happen? I think something like the 18 would be really valuable because it probably wouldn't happen. I think the moment anyone gets creative outside of the G League, the NBA is just going to open up their draft rules. I think right now, there's no challenger. There's no outside force that's going to push them so they're not doing anything. I think in the same way that it took Dr. J and all these guys to have this fascinating second league finally made the NBA get a little more interesting in the 70s. I think it takes an outside disruptive force to push the NBA. The NBA is a monopoly. It's a moneymaker. They have no reason to change right now. They think, all right, if we could push back free agency a year to 19 years old, we're suddenly going to have a little more player control, all of that. But I think... And we're lower risk. They obviously overpaid 18-year-old rookies back in the 90s or in the early 2000s, which is why they don't want this. They want the one and done to exist. And I think the moment someone starts monetizing and making an interesting product out of 18-year-olds, the NBA will want in on that, I'm sure. So... The 18 is a great idea because it'll push the NBA to do something. So if you're a disruptive, eccentric billionaire who wants to make some trouble, it'll only take one season, I think. And then you'll have made the trouble you need to. Yeah. You get one disruptor in there and it can change the entire market. I think you saying it's valuable because it wouldn't happen. I think it's just well said. And it makes a lot of sense that you're a writer, that you're a thinker, that you're a creative. And I enjoy talking to people like yourself. I've enjoyed this conversation. I appreciate you even just responding to my message in the first place and then finding the time to chat with me. So this has been great, Joe. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And I have a story coming out for Bleacher Report soon about a high school basketball player. So I think you'll dig. So look out for that. Yeah, we'll check it out. And we'll link to all these different articles that you have out there in the podcast. And again, I appreciate the time. Appreciate it too, man. Have a good one. One of my favorite things about our Sportsypreneur content platform is the opportunity to chat with amazing people in and around the world of sports. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to connect more, hit us up on Instagram at Sportsypreneur. Thank you for listening to this CAD Source production, the Sports Epreneur podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Mm-hmm.